0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kulmer, and this podcast is all about exploring the unique world of international schooling and music education with the goal of building a stronger and more connected community of music teachers working in the world's international schools. Hope you're all well and that the academic year has started off nicely for our Northern Hemisphere crew. Today's guest is Demo Dimitrakulakos and Demo is the academic leader of the arts and upper school music teacher at the International School of Luxembourg. I met Demo last year and we chatted about life and international schooling and music education and I was kind of straight away intrigued by his story, so I thought, Got to get him on the podcast and explore this. I'll introduce a couple more things, key elements of Demo's story through some of my questions in this episode. So I think we'll just get straight into it. Demo, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me here, Chris. It's a great pleasure and privilege to be here with you and the wonderful community that you've been developing.
0: Thank you. And I'd like to start off today with something a little left field, but there's a name that I came across, Richard Lane. For the uninitiated, who is Richard Lane and why is this name important to you?
1: Well, I just want to start off by saying thank you for asking this question. Richard Lane is someone very dear to me, and it's my life goal to help spread uh, his music and his legacy. He was my piano teacher, or so started off as my piano teacher, but developed into music theory and composition and history and pretty much all around music. I was taking my trombone lessons on Saturday mornings with the bass trombones for the Metropolitan Opera. And uh, from there, I would go to uh, Richard Lane. And the way that came about was I'm a trombonist and not a pianist, but uh, I wanted to develop my piano skills a bit further. And uh, Hal Jenks uh, recommended Richard Lane to me. And so I finished my trombone lesson and head down to uh, Patterson, New Jersey for my piano lesson. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. We just hit it off right from the get-go. And we had our first lesson and we went to go pay him. And, and he said, nope, we can't accept anything from you. We're just gonna, we're gonna have our, our lessons and that's gonna be it. And um, he sort of took me under his wing. And after our lessons, we'd go out for lunch and go for walks and talk about music. And yeah, the, the lessons really became an all-day affair after that and uh, it was always, always on Saturday and, and most times uh, end up a whole weekend. <laughs> It was really, really a wonderful experience working, learning with him. And we'd go to concerts Saturdays, Sundays. Uh, many of them were world premieres of his at Carnegie Hall and other venues throughout the, the New York metropolitan area. And yeah, he was he was my teacher, but became uh, a life mentor, let alone a music mentor. And uh, yeah, he became uh, an uncle figure to me, and I referred to him as as my uncle. I um, started studying at the Oberlin Conservatory of Music in Ohio, and when I left New York, I had only started uh, study with him for a year at that point, and we continued our lessons by phone and by post. He would send me his own scores and pieces that he was working on at the time. He was teaching me through his music and, of course, other composers. But we had a weekly uh, weekly phone call, and uh, he didn't have a computer, so we uh, we had uh, uh, lessons by post. Yeah, wow. <laughs> good old handwriting. And when I finished my studies, I. I uh, was a trombonist in the u s. Army band in Germany, and uh, we continued our lessons <laughs> by phone and by post, even at that point. And he unexpectedly uh, passed away in in 2004, young and seventy years old. And I had no no idea, but I received a phone call from the executive of the state and, and informed me that he left me the rights to all of his music. Oh wow. Yeah. And at that point, the executor. He was like, what, what do you want me to do with all of this music? How do you want me to get this to you? And in the meantime, after his passing, his home was burglarized. Fortunately, the burglars didn't want to steal the music, but as I said, he had no computer, so he wrote everything on manuscript paper and you know, thousands, tens of thousands of papers all thrown all over the house and whatnot. I mean, fortunately, a, a good portion was still intact, but we are talking a huge amount of, of scores that were just all over the place. And the executor packed them all up and big legal-sized boxes. And I remember getting them delivered from you know, New Jersey to Germany, Wiesbaden, Germany, where I was. And I started cataloging all the music. And during the years, of studying with him and coming back to New York during my studies, I was organizing his works at the time. And he never mentioned any of this to me. And even so, I had no idea the extent to his repertoire. He wrote over 500 pieces and wrote for pretty much everything. Chamber music, Vocal music, choral music, wind band music, string music, an opera, a music fable for children. Uh, anyway, I got all these boxes, all these scores, and I was like, wow. And a, a lot of the pieces I knew, but you know, there were hundreds that I didn't and I'd never seen before. It was a wonderful way to keep on getting to know him. Mm. But I, I set out to really organize the first catalog of his music, as I'll well, have all of the pieces here. And that took me about two years. Well, initially, the first one. It took me about 20 years, all in all, to get it really, as far as I know, as correct as possible. Yeah. But about two years after his passing, I got a phone call from Jean-Pierre Maté, who is the publisher for Editions DIM, National Music Publishing Company in Switzerland. During Richard Lane's lifetime, about seven pieces were published, his 500 pieces. Hmm. He had no desire to, to market his music. Um, wasn't concerned with that. And we had some conversations because it it seems quite odd to me as well. And he always explained to me that the publishers always required to have, well, anywhere between three and 10 copies of the scores. And he's like, well, I I do everything by manuscript. I don't want to waste my time rewriting or paying someone to rewrite. I just focus my energy on writing more pieces. Anyway, uh, I got this fortuitous phone call from uh, Jean-Pierre and uh, said he heard this piece and loved it and wanted to publish it and asked it if he could, he, he learned that I had to to the rights to music and I said, oh absolutely this that would be fabulous, but there are you know 500 more pieces or so <laughs> uh, by Richard Dane you might be interested and I've just sort of finished making this first catalog. So I drove down to Switzerland from Wiesbaden, Germany with all of these scores in the car and I shared all of Richard Dane's music with him and he, he fell in love with it. He was yeah, very enamored with Richard Dane's music and asked to publish all of his music. So we've been working since 2006 in publishing all of Richard Lane's pieces. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey to bring his music to future generations and to have this properly documented for people. And we've, we've done over a hundred pieces now and uh, we've, we've got about 30 on the dock right now. Uh, hopefully, they'll come out this year. And just to, just to share, he left me the rights to all of his music. And after his passing, the executor, along with several of his friends and myself, we started an endowed scholarship at the Eastman School of Music in his name to help support future music majors at the school. Uh, I helped set up a special collections section in the Sibley Library there at Eastman. And all the royalties that are, are made from the, the publishing go to support that scholarship or the publication of future pieces. Um, like I said, it's my life's goal to share Richard Lane's music with the world.
0: Dima, that's such a... A cool story. I mean, I'd read a little bit in researching before this episode about your connection to this, but I had no idea where it went to that level. And I mean, I could probably ask you 50 questions more about this, but I think just for the sake of time, we might move on. But what you've provided us with there is such a picture of a this special person, Richard Lane, who I'm now going to go and explore. And then all of this potential music. I mean, I was going to ask how many you've got through. So you've, you're hundred in, 30 on the dock. There's so many more pieces to get done, but uh, I think for the community listening, there's, there's a name there that we might all want to look up, for sure.
1: Please do, I, I encourage people to uncover his music And I I think it's uh, quite pertinent for the community here because he wrote for all levels. So you might be, if you're a a lower school music teacher, if you're a middle school music teacher, if you're a high school music teacher, if you're a university professor, professional musician, there's something for everyone um, in his repertoire.
0: Mm. Well, let's let's take the left turn because as mentioned in the intro, you're currently the academic leader of the arts and upper school music teacher at the International School of Luxembourg. What is it like to live and work in such a unique country?
1: I love it. <laughs> I love living in Luxembourg and I love working in Luxembourg, particularly at ISL. I'm going into my 18th year here and I couldn't think of another place where I'd like to be. You know, a lot of people think of Luxembourg as like, oh, it's so small. And when I first came, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And I only moved two hours west from where I was living in Germany at and I had come to Luxembourg, had played many concerts here before. But to live in a place, you know, maybe it's a bit different. I thought it'd be quite similar, but it is very, it's very different. Um, and at the time, I mean, I suppose it's the same for, for anywhere, but you need some time to figure things out, make connections. But it seemed like there wasn't anything to do. And that was very, very far from the truth. And a lot of people say, oh, it's so small, there's nothing to do. And, you know, if you live in a big city, you have a plethora of things to do. But at the end of the day, you can't do all those things. And I find myself in that situation in Luxembourg, even though it's small, there are so many things to do. And it's like, well, yeah, the plethora might not be there, but there's still more than you can possibly do. So it's still hard to choose sometimes. And I'm really fortunate to uh, live across the street from the Philharmonie and the the Mudan, Modern Art Museum, and down the street from the Grand Theater. So some of the the big art museums and the art venues are are right there. And right down the street from the school, we have a great rock club. So I mean, from from the arts perspective, you know, there's just so many things to do. But culturally speaking, and whatever someone's interest might lie, whether it's hiking, you know, being in nature, um, or being more urban, being in the city and doing things, there's always something exciting to do. And I love going for walks. And uh, every time I walk in the city, it's like I I see something new. I'm like, when is this going to end? I don't have I lived here for 18 years and walked past this corner and never noticed that there was a little statue on that side of the building. Um, it's really it's really beautiful
0: and i guess uh, just to jump in it's you know within touching distance from a number of other cities right it's it's not that far from anything
1: i mean in 15 minutes you can be in france you can be in germany in 15 minutes you can be in belgium in 15 minutes yeah
0: well i might jump in on a thing that you mentioned a couple of times going into your 18th year at the school and typically in the international school world, maybe not in the music world, but international schooling is kind of known, I guess, stereotypically for the space where teachers jump around a bit, two years here, three years there, you've worked in one school for so long. And and I thought that was quite interesting. Um, When we surveyed the MTIS community, it was interesting to note that a lot of music teachers actually do seem to stay around for a while in one school, which I I kind of expected through conversations. But when I saw the, the survey results, I was like, this is great. Because maybe it's because we find our place and the facilities are great and the resources. And I don't know what it is, but it's it's a thing, I think. So what has led you to stay in Luxembourg for so long? Apart from the things you've just mentioned about how nice it is. Like, yeah, it's 18 years. What What's keeping you there?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I started teaching, I, I had this uh, idea perhaps of, you know, like you said, living in the place for two or three years at a time, something like that, and um, seeing the world and moving from school to school. And when I started working at ISL, I was hired to build the upper school band program and the high school music program. Music only went up to eighth grade at the time. And I mean, from a professional standpoint, I don't want to say something is my baby. I'm surrounded by wonderful colleagues and wonderful um, administrators that have supported me and my colleagues throughout all the years to, to make all things possible that we do. But as each year grew uh, past, it w- it became hard and hard to ever think about leaving, really. When I came, there was one combined band in middle school and high school and uh, a jazz combo, and I helped develop a band program to have four bands, uh, a middle school concert band, a middle school jazz band, high school symphonic band, high school jazz band, and they developed the uh, IGCSE and IB music programs in the high school. And uh, yeah, I just became very connected to isl as a community not just the music department but the community the entire package so i have wonderful colleagues and all the other departments and yeah one of our values is uh, concerns treating each other like family and i've dedicated myself to isl from the get-go and plan to keep on doing so
0: your uh, administrators will be listening to this game oh good (laughs) i mean you mentioned the development that has happened from the beginning days and you'll have to remind me exactly where it started again but what is your current role like? You know, upper school music teacher, academic leader of the arts. It's definitely grown. What's day to day like for you?
1: Currently this year, I'll, I'll be teaching uh, seventh grade general music, IGCSE music and IB music. So from the, from the teaching standpoint, um, that's what I'll be doing. As academic leader of the arts, that includes uh, in addition to music, visual arts, drama, um, film, design technology and computer science. So I'm responsible for really anything that has to do with teaching learning outcomes across all those subjects, being from curriculum design, curriculum planning, lesson planning, assessment um, practices. I'm also part of supervising the professional growth model for the members of the arts team. And we we go by Studio 6. So um, where the teachers are on their recognition strand or the inquiry strand, I'm doing classroom observations and goal-making with the teachers. And we also have CLCs, collaborative learning communities, which I'm supervising. So we try our very best to bring people together to move forward together and having aligned goals at the school. So, um, of course, there's uh, more administrative things such as budget planning and weekly meetings. And of course, the academic leaders are part of the academic council. So there's an academic leader for each of the subject groups, and we work with the, the principals to help our school move forward together.
0: So, back to the idea of tenure, you know, the length of time you've spent in one school and thinking about your current role and where it sort of started what would you say might be some of the main advantages of staying in a school and teaching music in an international the same international school for a longer period of time
1: i think one of the the advantages is that you get to see long term projects through learn long term goals some projects require someone to be there for several years to to see that particular goal develop and then once it's developed how do you maintain it and then it's not just about, you know, status quo, but always thinking about how, how you can improve. So for me, I think a big advantage is to be able to see some of those long-term projects through and continue and stay with them. And I talked about it before. Uh, I love working at ISL because of the community. And I think when you're out of a place for a long period of time, relationships are, are the key. They're, they're at the heart of the world, pretty much anything. And so when you have got those strong relationships and have some stability there, you've got that uh, that bond. And I think that we're we're very lucky as a school. We have a relatively low turnover. I think that the the main advantage is just to help develop that sense of community, stability, and and see projects through.
0: When we were chatting before we hit record on this episode, you took me on a little tour, a little virtual tour. You showed me some stuff and when when you were speaking before about coming into the school as a band director essentially when you were showing me around the space i didn't see a lot of typical band directory stuff how have you changed as a music educator over your time i'm sure
1: yeah i I didn't uh, take you into the the band room room Ah, (laughs) you asked um how have i changed i mean these things didn't exist (laughs) when i was at music conservatory so we have a korg vocal sample we've got Uh, set of micro freak here
0: yeah Um, that's an arturia midi keyboard yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah we have a whole set of arturia software micro boot here Mm. and then we have a dj 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 decks yeah yeah but um i would say that music technology is the way the one thing that i suppose i've i've had to develop the most and and have changed the most in in my career. And I know that music technology is something that's really close to you. And actually I have to do a shout out to someone that you've actually had on your program and a dear friend of mine, and that's Samuel Wright. And this is his NYP music uh, book here that he's authored. We've been uh, working with him for the past few years, and yeah, he's just hes just amazing. And if I can just apply one thing of the million things that he knows each month in, into my practices, I feel good. But uh, yeah, music technology is, uh, well, I mean, unless you are a music technology specialist in something that's you know, really your thing, I think many teachers uh, maybe find that their students are maybe a bit more advanced than they are. <laughs> And the past few years, I've been really fortunate to have some students that were leading a music technology uh, class during lunchtime for students. But I asked if I could join yeah. as a student. So I've been participating in that. And, uh, yeah, really trying to learn. I, I love music technology, and but uh, music technology is definitely the, the thing that has changed the most in, in my career. And some days it's a struggle. I'm trying to figure out where does this chord go? You know, things... Uh, Practical, uh, logistical things like that. Yes. Um, but more importantly, how are we going to integrate and why are we integrating music technology? Not for the sake of music technology, but how are we using music technology to better support learning outcomes? Yes. Not just as a replacement, but to offer something different and something new. So, yeah, music technology definitely the, the area that I've developed the most and need to continue developing. Yeah, <laughs> <the most>.
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I love the idea of having a student lead the program and then sitting in as a student. That's quite inspiring.
1: Yeah, it it was a great experience. And uh, yeah, we even had some students that got signed by some record labels, and um, they're doing some
0: wonderful things. Hey, I wanted to ask just to jump left again, I noticed in looking up some of the things you've been doing, you have this title of the national quarter couldn't can't even say it's such a long title (laughs) the national coordinator of music education for luxembourg as part of the european association for music in schools is that right and tell tell us what that's about
1: yeah so the national coordinators is a segment uh, part of the european association for music in schools eas that's something new to you can check out eas-music.org and it's an organization to help spread music and and music education it's european based but we have people that are participating from all over the world Uh, we have annual conferences and this past year and in may it was in lyon and uh, as you said yes i'm I'm the national coordinator for music education for luxembourg and at the conference in may i was actually elected to the board and um i'm now the the chairperson for the national coordinators
0: congratulations thank you (laughs) um
1: we have about 31 countries as part of eas and thousands of the schools are impacted by the work that we're doing. But the national coordinators' primary goal is to bring music teachers together um, in their individual countries and might be organizing regional events, master classes. And one of the, the main goals from the national coordinators altogether is we have started the UDEMIS, or DAMIS, the European Day for Music in Schools, which is March 15th. And I'll give a, a shout out for anyone listening. If it's something you want to find more information about and participate, you can find that on the EAS website. And there's a song that's that's uh, composed. And the idea is for all the schools in each country to, to learn the song and record it. A montage is made. Um, and then we also sing this live together on March 15th. We have the regional events. So that might be like within a country, but it also, like for me in Luxembourg, we might hold a regional event. It might uh, you know have some people coming from Belgium, from Germany, from France. Um, from the Netherlands, but, uh, EAS as an organization who has the annual conference, they also have a, a book series. So for each, each conference then produces, a, a new book. It's a European perspectives on music education, a E P O M E. And that's also on the website. So you can see a series of that wonderful resources for, for music educators to look into to see some of their research, practical research. Mm. That, uh, Teachers can uh, read and, and utilize in the classrooms. So that's a, that's a little bit about EAS, yeah, yes, a wonderful organization. And if you're uh, interested in participating in, uh, in the next year's annual conference, it will be in Dublin in June.
0: And uh, hope to see you there. Something else to add to the show notes. Lots of links today. This is great. I'm going to ask you my favorite question. And again, I could dig in probably on all of the things you've said and uh, go down a few rabbit holes, but I'm going to lead us to my favorite question, which is, what would you say in your understanding, experience, context, makes a good international school music teacher?
1: I'm going to refer to my notes here because I, I just <laughs> wrote a few things here. I do want to uh, make sure that I say things as best as I can. I think I have four topics, I, I would say. Okay. I brought this out. So is that all right? I'm just going to read this actually. Okay. My belief about teaching in general for any subject is that it is all about building relationships and strong bonds with students. The more we know about our students, the more effective we can be in finding out what they are passionate about and tailoring their learning to their interest. So I think if I just had to sum that up in one word and I talked about it a bit before in some of the other questions you asked, everything that we do is about relationship building. I have to say that I feel blessed to have some of the teachers that I've had, or many of the teachers that I've had, all the way from elementary school to the tertiary level. But of, of course, just like anyone, maybe I, I had some teachers that uh, maybe weren't the kindest and are the nicest. And did I learn in their classes? Sure, I, I learned. But I have to say that I learned more in the classes where I felt that there was a relationship, there was a bond, that the teacher cared about me. And so I think that good teaching comes down to ensuring that students feel safe, and welcome, that they know that you're there for them. Mm. So that, that would be my, my number one thing to say. Mm. As a follow-up to that, I'd say that student voice, student choice, student agency come next. I think learning about music is skills-based and that it should be holistic-oriented for students to develop their skills based around musical elements and concepts framed around performance, solo and group, improvisation and creativity, creation, composition, and various forms and any styles different music theories, history, listening, research, all of that combined. I think it's important for students to be able to design their curriculum around this holistic approach. I, of course, want to share my own personal interest uh, with students. And sometimes students want to learn about the music I share. And sometimes they they don't. That's okay. Likewise, I want to learn about music from them as well. If they want to develop their skills through a different piece or song genre of music, I think this is great for students to make the learning personal to them. I think this helps with the overall engagement and development of their musical skill building. One of the things I say to my students, I try to say each day, actually, each, each class, I hope that when you leave this classroom today, you leave feeling a better musician than you are when you walked in. I frame that around the concept that our goal is to help build independent music makers, independent music learners. I mean, we might only have a few classes a week, but there's seven days in the week. We're not seeing the students hang out know, seven days a week, but we want to give the students the skills that they need so that they can continue their music learning outside of the classroom, mm. whether it's alone or with a friend or a group of friends. So I think that's really important. Third, I'd say the role of giving ongoing formative feedback to students is crucial, both from the teacher's perspective, but also peer feedback and self-reflection are key, helping students develop their musical skill and musical learning. Um, we have students doing their their own assessment, their own report cards, their own comments. We really try to develop that reflecting process and part of everything that we do. So, yes, of course, as a teacher, we're, we're here to help facilitate and guide students through that process. But I think it's, it's a bit different to come out, you know, forthright and tell a student all that information mm. and it's something different if the student can articulate that themselves and some do it really, really well. And that's great. And you're there to say, "Yep, you're on the right track. Go for it." Now, the students might need some more support, but it's like anything—it's—it's practice, and the more they do it, the better they get at it. Yeah, the whole concept: bring them, develop the skills and the confidence that, hey, if I run into a little problem here at home, I'm I'm working on the ukulele, I'm working on the guitar, I'm working on the piano, I'm singing a song, uh, karaoke, whatever the case might be. What am I going to do? You know, some students might, well, my next music lesson isn't until you know four days away. My next private lesson, I just had it and now I have this problem the very next day and uh, uh, I'm just gonna wait for the until next week to figure out, no, that's that's not what we want, right? Mm. We want students to be able to, to identify and find solutions. Um, I think it's all about relationships. It's mm. about being positive. We want to make a learning space where, where kids want to come. You know We want to provide experiences for students that excite them. And we want students to be saying, right, I can't wait until my next music class. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Folks, uh, class is ended. You need to get to your next class. Oh, no, I don't want to leave. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I still want to keep on practicing. You know, that's the type of atmosphere that we're after, I, I think, I hope. So that's, that's what I would say.
0: Thanks for thinking so deeply about that. And there's lots of really poignant ideas. I've taken... A bunch of notes (laughs) um (laughs) as i was as i was listening i thought it was really well well presented so thank you dima again thank you so much for what you've offered today and yes we could have explored lots and lots of different topics uh i maybe we'll do that maybe we'll have a round two one day where we we dig deeper on some of these things but i think we might we might leave it there do you have any other questions comments thoughts that you want to add before we wrap up
1: I guess this the one, one thing that I would just like to say is that I'm really, really excited about this year for many reasons. We have a full plate of incredible things happening. But one of the things that I've, I've been working for for many years now and finally coming to fruition is that ISL will be the official residency for the Luxembourg Chamber Orchestra. And so we will have orchestra, professional orchestra on site.
0: What?
1: Yeah. And so um, just to put that into context as quickly as I can, over the last several years, we've been collaborating with the OCL, the Chamber Orchestra. And we actually did a performance of Richard Lane's Magician's Shoes, which is a music table. And we had students performing alongside the members of the orchestra and then drama students doing the theatrical part. And we've done other projects like that in the past. But over the last several years, we've been participating in a student composition program where every single seventh grader writes a string quartet. Every single seventh grader. Wow. And we have the, the string quartet of the, of the OCL that comes in and gives a, an initial demonstration about their instruments and how to write for them and, and whatnot. when um, they come back during the process to give feedback to the students on their compositions. And then it all ends up with a, a gala performance, a world premiere of every single composition.
0: I'm guessing they're short compositions all mashed together. Oh, you mean the, the gala Yeah at the gala?
1: Yeah. So every single student goes from one to the next to the next. We have a, a trimester schedule. We have two classes simultaneously. So we have forty world premieres. Um and then three months later we have another 40 and three nice. months later you know, 40 more of ourselves. Um when I was going to to school, uh, at least when I started finale and Sibelius and those type programs didn't exist. That. They were just coming on the market. Yeah. A- anyway, you know, you, you compose and you, you, you had to know how it sounded or, or you didn't. Right. Yeah. And so working on on software notation programs, great students get to hear right away how something sounds and go back and make adjustments. But it's an entirely different thing if you can hear your piece performed live um, and be performed live by professional musicians. It sort of makes that whole process, that, that circular process complete. So anyway, we've been doing that, and that's been just incredible to see students develop through that process, and so excited to have their world premiere performance and their recording, and to work with musicians. And it was, it was always my goal to see how we can get the orchestra even more involved in our day-to-day. So the orchestra will be on site, and students will have access to open rehearsals, and even interactive rehearsals, so students will be able to sit in with the musicians. We're going to have some students performing with the orchestra as well. Uh, we'll have classes by members of the orchestra. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the four-year-old, five-year-old, lower school students going to rehearsal there in the auditorium, and uh, just like the, the 12th graders um, and all the students in between to be able to, uh, walking from one class to the next and hearing the orchestra rehearse perhaps in the auditorium. I think it's a, a great uh, thing.
0: So great, demo. I wanted to just quickly reflect as we wrap up on what you said about the journey that you've taken with the chamber orchestra coming into school and seeing that come to fruition and linking back to some of the earlier parts of this conversation about tenure and being in one school for so long, and then connecting that to international schooling and thinking, you know, connection to context and cultural context is such a vital part of any international school music teacher to feel at home, to feel connected to, to place. And I just want to commend you on, the initiative to really connect with that incredible ensemble that's in your community and you've had time in school you know all those years to develop that relationship and to get it to a point where they're in-house like what incredible connection to context and i just i just loved it as i was listening i was going that's such a great example of what we have the potential of doing as international school music teachers working in these unique environments so i just wanted to add that in there is well, a bit very of a much. bit of a commendation and um yeah just really cool to hear Dimo. we're gonna leave it there as i said maybe we will have a round two at some point but all the best for the academic year ahead i am looking forward to the day when we catch up again in person likewise and yeah please keep in touch we'll have all the links to all of these great ideas and books and resources in the show notes as always thank you again for your time and uh Catch you again soon.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All the best. Talk soon.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. Listen to other episodes by visiting mtiis.com or learn more about our community on Facebook by simply searching for Music Teachers in International Schools. If you know someone who you think I should get on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at chriskulma.com, C-H-R-I-S-K-O-E-L-M-A.com. See you next time.